Haini pi, haini pi, haini pi. Wajani wina, jankishina, hini karagiwina. Hanachni pi, harajara, we pi, waunangshana. Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic this morning, and I sincerely hope everyone else is as well. With so much going on in the world today, and it always seems as there is so much going on, let's just focus on what's going on in little, our little part of it and see if we can't make sense of that. To each and every one of you who spend a little time every week listening to this podcast, thank you very much. Time is our most precious commodity, and I truly appreciate you sharing yours with me. If you'd like to get in touch with me, ring me up if you have my number. If not, we still have a couple of ways of getting in contact with each other. My Gmail address is moneycucksick at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. I'm really good about returning emails, so uh, reach out and I'll get back to you ASAP, if not sooner. I'm pretty active on the Chipotle Facebook page, posting short pieces and the like. I'm doing better on my Twitter page, so follow me there if you're bored and you want some great tweets about the Ho-Chunk Nation. LOL. I really don't know why I've slowed down posting on LinkedIn, but I have for a while. Maybe just lazy. We'll pick up the pace, though. It's not like I've got anything else to do, right? Ah, my old nemesis Instagram. I have thrown a couple of posts up there, but I find it a challenge. When your product is thoughts and words, trying to convey that uh, to Instagram is, um, ah, who am I kidding? I'm just lazy. Uh, stick with me, though. I'll turn it around, damn it. Um, look, I really enjoy talking and texting with all of you every day. We talked previously of me trying to get out of my bubble and talk to people who disagree with me or just don't see what I'm trying to do here. In the same vein, it's really difficult for me to understand people's motivations when they do things, but they don't supply their motivations and what they hope to accomplish. How can any of us hope to understand someone else when there's no communication? So, once again, I want to reach out to any any legislator, any executive manager or executive director, or anyone really who wishes to speak out on any issue or confront me on my thoughts and actions. I'm not here to sandbag anyone or edit the interviews to make you look foolish. I sincerely want to hear everyone's thoughts, concerns, and solutions. Crowdsourcing, I think is what the kids are calling it today. I just want our nation to be culturally and economically viable far into the future. So when I pass, I know my nation will be in good hands and endure for centuries. This past Thursday, the Great Lakes Tribal Economic Summit occurred on October 6th at Grand Valley State University's Seidman College of Business. This Monday, Indigenous BizCon will launch for three days at Potawatomi Hotel and Casino, October 10th, 11th, and 12th. Yeah, so uh, what, you might ask? What does that have to do with me or the Ho-Chunk Nation? I'll tell you what. Almost every other indigenous nation is focusing on Section 17 and 16 corporations, separating their business from government, and we are being left further and further behind. And it's not something that has just occurred to them. Some of these corporations are going on their second decade. We have 12 clans, but for some strange reason, we never see them as part of our nation. We never see them as a tool in our arsenal. 
Perhaps it's time the Office of the President, the Legislature, and 12 clans themselves get in front of the people and seriously explore this option for the Ho-Chunk Nation. Ho-Chunk Inc. of Nebraska, Hard Rock Corporation of the Seminole Nation, Pottawatomie Business Development Corporation of the Forest County Pottawatomie, Milox Corporate Ventures of the Milox Band of Ojibwa, Mano Benmadsen, the non-gaming investment arm of the Pokagon Band of Pottawatomie Indians. Oh, a nation, incidentally, who just celebrated their 28th, their 28th Sovereignty Day and who have created their investment arm just 10 years ago. Sioux St. Marie Tribe of Chippewa Indians, Sioux Tribe Inc., the Odawa Economic Development Management Inc. of the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Ottawa Indians, the Porch Band of Creek Indians operating in a multitude of businesses under their umbrella corporation, Wind Creek Hospitality. And I can keep going on and on and on, but I think you get my point. We established ourselves as a nation in 1963, and here we are just under 60 years later, and all we are doing is conducting listening sessions. Our president is in his sixth or seventh listening session, and our, late, and our legislature has just announced their inaugural Ho-Chunk Comprehensive Economic Development Strategy WebEx conference. I would like to thank them for conducting this meeting in the evening. Question. Why is the president and the legislature conducting separate meetings? This is a common problem that concerns all of us, and this should be handled jointly. Our entire government should be working on this problem. Our president, legislature, business department, and 12 clans should be locked in a room until they can reach a common strategy that envelops all of our future business strategies. Case in point, the Beloit Casino. We should have had the grand opening of our temporary facility last week sometime. Instead, Ryan Greendeer, the legislative spokesman, will address the people of Indigenous BizCon 2022 and announce the legislative progress and plans for Beloit. We can't even get together and greenlight a restaurant inside the Wisconsin Dells Casino, but we're going to build a casino. President White Eagle says the people don't want money spent on a casino until we get the comp and class situation dealt with. But the legislator just put out RFPs for those, and that could take a while. And I really don't see the president or the office of the president getting ahead of this issue either. And neither the legislature nor the president's office seems to be taking 12 clans seriously at this point, even though they happen to be the only entity with the professional ability and expertise to help our nation out of our present predicament. At the Great Lakes Tribal Economic Summit, discussions on how the Wuhan pandemic and subsequent economic shutdown pushed indigenous nations to focus more than ever on diversifying their businesses outside of gaming. Terry Fitzpatrick, Executive Vice President, Chief Real Estate and Global Attraction Officer at the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, said only a few tribes had an economic development arm a decade ago. Tribal nations' real shift ramping up of economic development activity started happening about five years ago, she said. As undefined as the economic climate is right now, the opportunities opportunities are unbelievable, said Joel Schultz, CEO of Sioux Tribe, Inc. Some of the stuff is recession-proof that tribes are getting involved in, Fitzpatrick said, but I also think having a fundamental different philosophy than the general business community 
Having a seven-year, seven-generation philosophy embedded in your culture allows you to think about things more long-term instead of being really active in the short term. Since 2015, the U.S. Economic Development Administration has invested $30 million to $40 million in Indian country, said Lee Sheary, an economic development administrator in the agency. In 2020, a federal rule change set aside funds for the first time for Native American communities, he said. Tribes are also 100% eligible for funds, while other groups applying for federal funds such as cities, townships, and nonprofits have added criteria. At the state level, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation does not have set-asides for tribal communities, but they meet many of the factors of eligibility to gain access to these funds, said Tom Durkee, a tribal business development manager at the MEDC. We realized we needed to be better connected to the tribes for several reasons. One of those reasons is because tribes tend to be the largest employers in the communities where they exist, Durkee said. This week at the Potawatomi Hotel and Casino, Colin Price and Associates will be hosting Indigenous BizCon 2022. Indigenous BizCon provides an opportunity for attendees to learn, network, and collaborate to build meaningful partnerships that result in business, all the while breaking down barriers to economic development, building community, and elevating voices of Native entrepreneurs. First and foremost, I'd like to heap many praises and kudos on to Mr. Colin Price to actually conceive of this idea and then with the help of his associates to put this together and execute it is a wonderful accomplishment. This is done with sweat equity, knowledge, and the power of business. The fact that this is being done privately without city, county, state, federal, or Ho-Chunk Nation money is a testament to his acuity and success. There are billions of dollars on the table in the state of Wisconsin. The fact that indigenous nations are not stepping up and taking a sizable share of this is disgraceful. Only lately have we, as indigenous nations, begun to understand the economic power we wield. We have huge advantages with set-asides, with MBEs and DBEs, with our educated tribal members, with our reservations and trust lands. Section 16 and 17 type corporations, LLCs on reservations and trust lands, and indigenous entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs scattered throughout the state of Wisconsin. These are all unrealized strengths. The BizCon will be bringing some of our most forward-thinking Wongshiks in touch with our business entities. Large and small, men and women from large cities and towns, it will bring them in touch and give them an opportunity to network, to explain what they do and what they can do. It will show some of these Wongshiks opportunities that they knew of, but lack the knowledge of how to gain entry into these markets. This BizCon will also show the state of Wisconsin businesses that we are capable businessmen and women, and that we are capable business entities, and that we are capable business nations. Oh, sure, some of us have a long way to go yet, as individuals, as businesses, as nations. But just to see what's available to us and for us, well, maybe that will motivate some of us into thinking what is possible for our people and our nations. Twelve Clans represents a success story that we see in nations all around us. It will definitely take a little courage for the legislature and the office of the president to relinquish some financial control to another Ho-Chunk entity. And this is where we have a huge disconnect. Twelve Clans is part of the Ho-Chunk nation. Twelve Clans is us. We are 12 clans. 
These two conferences, Indigenous BizCon 2022 and the Great Lakes Tribal Economic Summit, are celebrations of where we are presently and where we can be in the future. Simply by using all the tools available to us and executing a little political courage. What keeps you coming back? Is it the ability to finally get away? Or is it that you can play big and win big? Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin Dells. A grown-up getaway keeps you coming back. When lawmakers introduce the idea of creating or changing a law, they generally do so because they have been receiving communication from their constituents. And more often than not, the proposals of creating a new law or changing an existing law are designed to be an effort of problem solving. The constituents have identified a problem that needs to be solved through legislation or lawmaking, and lawmakers react. I've been curious about the Ho-Chunk Nation's lawmakers' efforts to amend the gaming ordinance. The legislature never identified what they were seeking to fix in the existing law, the existing gaming ordinance. When I read the amended language and compared it to the existing law, I could not understand what needed to be fixed. What I read appeared an extension of the effort by the legislature to usurp the executive branch's authority. Like the defeated language in the LOA, where the legislature would have given themselves authority over the nation's business enterprises. The amended language in the gaming ordinance looked to me much like much of the same sort of constitutional violations and apparent power grab initiatives in the draft LOA language. In the amended gaming ordinance, for example, there was language that would have given the gaming commission not just regulatory authority, but managerial power over the nation's casinos and being that the Gaming Commission reports to the legislature, by extension, the legislature would be granting themselves managerial power over the casinos. There was language that would have taken away casino employees' rights to due process. There was language that would have taken away employees' freedom of speech. Now, while I do not work in any of the casinos, I have friends and relatives that do, and I have never heard of any rampant regulatory problems plaguing our casinos. Perhaps the legislature would be inclined to offer up their reasons for their actions or by or simply to identify to the people what exactly they are fixing. I'm sure that my growing relation, listenership would be very interested in the legislature's rationale. Despite the misgivings reportedly submitted by casino employees to the legislature during the 25-day comment period, the amendments to the gaming ordinance were passed by an overwhelming majority of legislatures and sent to the National Indian Gaming Commission about two months ago. Last Thursday, October 6, 2022, the legislature released their notice that they would be holding a special legislative meeting on Wednesday, October 12, 2022. The first item under new business is A. Consideration of quick passage to the gaming ordinance and B. Resolution, quick passage procedure to amend the gaming ordinances. Both of these agenda items were sponsored by, were sponsored by Vice President Karina Thundercloud. It would be most informative and helpful to the people of the Ho-Chunk Nation to understand what is so problematic with the existing gaming ordinance that so much effort seems to be going into amending it. 
It was sent out for a 45-day comment period in 2021. It suddenly appeared on a legislative agenda 13 months later, and it was passed by the required two-thirds votes. The optics of their slipping it in on the agenda 13 months after a 45-day comment period is slippery at best. But President White Eagle vetoed the ordinance, recognizing the damage it would do to the moneymakers of the Ho-Chunk Nation. The subsequent notice of the next legislative meeting had an attached agenda. As now seems customary, the agenda, that agenda did not include any mention of the gaming ordinance. But while the legislature was preparing to prove their agenda, Vice President Karina Thundercloud added the gaming ordinance to the agenda at the last minute. Now this too seems a tad bit slippery. When the issue of the already vetoed gaming ordinance came up, there were objections raised and the legislature was able to reach a two-thirds vote to approve the amendments to the gaming ordinance. Then a District 1 rep, Phyllis Smoke, made an odd motion to place the ordinance out for an unheard of before 25-day comment period. This again prompts the question, what is so problematic about the existing gaming ordinance that requires such extraordinary measures? What are the problems in the existing law that, number one, are so problematic that, that they require questionable legislative tactics, and two, require such a hurry in getting the amended language codified? Well, after the 25-day comment period elapsed, the legislature placed the gaming ordinance back on the agenda, and it was passed without discussion. It is not known to the people whether or not the submitted comments from the constituency ever resulted in language changes to the ordinance. The latest version of the gaming ordinance was never published for the, peop for the people's review. The legislature simply voted in favor of whatever version that was drafted, and they sent that to the NIGC. As I just mentioned a few minutes ago, the legislature is once again going to address the issue of the gaming ordinance next Wednesday at a special legislative meeting. I ask again, what is the urgency that they felt the need to call a special meeting for this issue? What's the hurry? It is furthermore concerning that both agenda items regarding the gaming ordinance are of the quick passage variety. Again, what is the hurry? It is very noteworthy that sent the legislature sent their amended language to the gaming ordinance to the NIGC roughly two months ago. The NIGC has very likely sent their response, and it does not look like the NIG approved it. Maybe the NIGC agreed with my own assessment that the ordinance the legislature sent was not constitutional. My research into this matter indicated that the chair of the NIGC could not approve a proposed gaming ordinance if it contained language that did not conform to the governing documents, in this case our, of our tribe, the Constitution. Maybe this was the case. Maybe it wasn't. All the legislature would have to do is inform its people. As the legislature employs tactics that seem to avoid transparency, and as they seem to do everything they can to rush the process of getting their amended gaming ordinance approved by the NIGC, it just makes me wonder why. I don't think I'm alone when I say that I trust the legislature will follow their own normal process for enacting laws that are very clearly outlined in their own Legislative Organization Act. There are very specific reasons for their quick passage of laws. 
I trust that if they persist in the quick passage strategy outlined in next Wednesday's special legislative meeting agenda, they will be very specific as to why they believe this is necessary. After all, there are no known regulatory issues at the casino in need of fast action. The existing law is adequate for addressing regulatory problems. And this is an ordinance we are talking about, not some policy fix per their own LOA-imposed rules. A significant requirement is that they put this ordinance out for a 45-day comment period. I've mentioned on multiple occasions before on this podcast that the current legislative administration is transparency challenged. Maybe they are just not very good communicators. They have a PR staffer. Why doesn't he report on such matters? This entire journey of an ordinance that looks like it would do more damage than good has painted a very unflattering picture of the Ho-Chunk Nation legislature. I would suggest, suggest that the legislature simply inform the people of their intentions, identify the problems that they are attempting to fix, and tell us how their amendments fix the problems. It would also behoove them to inform the people of the urgency of passing this legislation. Lawmakers are supposed to solve problems. Regarding the Gabeman ordinance, I see nothing to indicate they are acting on this manner at all. I am anxious to report on the actions taken during next Wednesday's special legislative meeting. I hope good decisions are made for the greater good of the Ho-Chunk people. Hey folks, welcome to Ho-Chunk in Madison. You can win my jackpot with the $2 max bet. Nice! And you give out endless free spins. Hey, over here. I have multiple jackpots. And my jackpots can be won with any bet. Plus, the more I'm played, the, the higher, higher the, the jackpot. jackpot. I'm playing this one. That one's calling my name. I was thinking about what I said on last week's podcast concerning the legislator's attempt to get the Office of the General Counsel's Deputy Advocate, Henry Whitethunder, to appear before them and give our legislature a report on the Office of the General Counsel. I said that I felt that this request was illegal because one branch of government cannot dictate to another how to operate within their constitutionally prescribed roles. I referred back to the opinion of the Attorney General Scott Seifert of July 28th 2022, and how he crafted his opinion from previous opinions by previous Attorneys General Amanda White Eagle and Michelle Greender Rave. The opinion stated that one equal branch of government cannot dictate to another branch of government on how they conduct their business. I just said that. Might these opinions be interpreted as to how all of our branches of government interact with one another? If the General Counsel's branch of government does not have to legally appear before the legislature, wouldn't this ruling also imply that the executive branch's executive managers and executive directors do not have to frog march in front of the legislature every month? Reading from our Constitution, quote, Article 5 of the legislature, Section 2, Powers of the legislature, Subsection B, to establish executive departments and to delegate legislative powers to the executive branch to be administered by such departments. In accordance with the law, any department established by the legislature shall be administered by the executive. The legislature reserves the power to review any action taken by virtue of such delegated powers. 
unquote. Our Constitution gives our legislature the power to review any action. Okay, granted. However, I fail to see what the legislature has the right to haul executive managers and executive directors in front of them to grill them publicly and privately. The president administers all departments. Therefore, all department heads and employees fall under the executive's jurisdiction, and the legislature has no legal authority to intercede in another equal branch of government's operation. Therefore, the legislature has no legal authority to compel members of the executive's departments to appear before them. A review can be requested and questions can be submitted to the president who can relay them to the appropriate executive director or executive manager who can submit a written report back to the president who can then relay the answers to the legislature. I'm sure the legislature can and will respect the privacy of the various executive managers and executive directors. After all, so much of the legislator's work is conducted in secret and in closed meetings that it would only seem fair to accord the executive branch's employees the same courtesy. Now, I am sure that maybe an accommodation can be reached in the future between these equal branches of government, the executive and the legislative, on appearance before the legislature. Oh, I don't know. All legislative questions must be submitted seven days, seven business days in advance and must per, uh, pertain to a specific question in need of clarification. Otherwise, I am sure the president can and will be able to handle his executive duties as well, the legislature, as well as the legislature handles theirs. And both equal branches of our government will respect the constitutional boundaries that the writers of our constitution laid down. So, in the future, there will be no need for the legislature to meet secretly with the treasurer or the public berate an executive manager for missed sales goals. It's the legislature's job to make laws including codes, ordinances, resolutions, and statutes, not to manage the executive department's managers and directors. That's the president's job. It says so right there in our Constitution. <laughs>